0: This episode of the Misdirected Mark Podcast is sponsored by Tifling Mountain Scarves. When you want to convey lineage, occupation status, and your love for Moloch the Immolator, you want Tifling Mountain Scarves, now 50% less flammable.
1: Now that's a visual aid.
0: This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willer for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. And with that, welcome
1: to the 482nd episode of the Mr. Dr. Mark podcast. Tonight, we discuss using visual media as aids in your tabletop role playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil.
0: I'm Chris, and that scarf is really helping me from burning up. It's yeah. very hot this summer. It's what you need you it's need been, help been and a it looks more. good on you too oh thank you so, so much stylish i wish i had actually had a scar for the video version of this but that's fine <laughs> uh well there's no bob up, there's no bob bob is not feeling well so let's get
2: to the let's get to the temperature check we'll just go right in there uh i will start with you phil how are you feeling these days i am physically doing just fine and mentally i think i'm okay um i think i'm like a solid b plus mentally i'm not going to delve into it here we can talk about it in the after show a bit but I'm actually kind of like wandering in terms of recreation stuff. Like I'm a bit lost on finding some sources of recreation, which I think is like wearing on me a little, but not, not a bunch. So solid B plus mentally. And I'm doing fine physically. Lego. Uh, no, man, that's like money, man. Like I, <laughs> I know what, I know what you spend on that shit. Like I'm looking for a hobby. That's not going to bankrupt me. Well, you already have Marvel unlimited, don't you? I mean, I do, but like, like I said, we'll talk about it in the after there. show, but <laughs> anyway, Jerry, how about you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, Last week, I wasn't
1: here because I was going through my first colonoscopy, and everything Ben's went well. Ben's health, man. Ben's yeah. health. Yep, and everything went well, so I'm feeling good, and had a good weekend, got some sleep, and I'm just kind of getting prepared because uh, I go on a two-week vacation next week, so I'm Yeah, that's good. nice.
0: Chris, I'm fine. I'm good. Yep, I'm, like, I, you I'm, know, fine. I'm just doing the thing. Working. I'm also going on vacation next week, so, yes. you know, that's, that's that's that next week. That's next week. We're yeah. We're all, all leaving. Like we're all, leaving. Oh, we're all skipping yeah. town. All three of we're us. Leaving Bob vacation. here
2: alone in the house misdirected. Yes. That's right. Yes. He can, you can clean up the
0: garage and, and the game room and the, the basement. Right? which We don't talk about. We don't go to the, there basement. were doppelgangers there at one point in time. That's, that's a deep, cut that's right weird, there. Want some deep wow. cuts. Wow. Want some misdirected
2: Mark deep Seriously. cuts. <laughs> you, you don't know. <laughs> that's some old, that's some old school misdirected Mark. uh misdirected mark stuff well with that i
0: suppose we should uh stop talking about vacations and get into our topic for this night right Mm -hmm. which we're gonna do visual media and role-playing games well phil why don't you hit it with this
2: workshop workshop look at this i'm showing you something it's got a whole bunch of information and it's gonna help you with the game look look you fools look it's visual media here in the workshop don't suck (laughs) Mm -mm. thank you Did you know that we have far more neurons dedicated to visual processing than audio processing? That's what an expert said in a training class I recently took. It got me thinking, how do we use visuals to help us at the game table? Heck, what kind of visuals do we use at the game table? Can we categorize them? Where do they help us? And that's how we got into tonight's topic. So let's get into it by starting with a definition. in the presence of Definition Panda. But the panda defers this definition to Jerry. What? We just,
0: we're just throwing Definition Panda around to everybody these days. I love it. Love of course, it. we're all pandas together in life. <laughs> That's right.
1: All right. Well, visual media is an item of illustrative matter, such as film, slide, model, designed to supplement written or spoken information so that it can be understood more easily. In gaming, we'll call this anything that we use that isn't the GM's voice or body language let supplement the understanding of our shared storytelling. Now that we have a shared definition. Let's talk about the benefits of using visual media at the gaming table.
2: The most important benefit is providing a shortcut to deliver information more efficiently. If I drop a picture on the table of a city structure high in the mountains with snow falling, that's a lot of info you get all in one go. That picture can also help set the tone, as can a lot of visual media. For instance... You're playing Knights Black Agents. I play Knights Black Agents. Mm-hmm. And you use Google Earth on a TV monitor to display an area. I hear you do that all the time. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Playing on that trope can help promote that feeling that we get when watching spy and espionage stories. Totally does.
0: Having those visual components to go along with your descriptions can really add impact to your game. Say so I'm describing some of the connections between people, places, and plots in a Knights Black Agents game. I pull out my murder board with all the pictures of people, names of places, and strings connecting them. I talk through the connections as I point to the places on the board that I'm talking about. This lets players see the connections as they're listening to what I'm saying. It also allows me to put some emphasis on the important parts of the murder board, which can focus the game for everyone. There's a lot there, and I think we should bring up how this example and visual aids in general can provide
1: more than one method for processing information. Not everyone is an audio learner. Having a visual component can help players form a visual-based into the same narrative space as everyone else. The murder board is a perfect example
0: of that. I like the idea that dropping some visual media on the table works great as a transition. Scene
2: transition or play mode transition. Which one? Why not both? That makes sense. Jerry, want to give us a few examples? Absolutely. Let's start with roll for
1: initiative. This can change the player's mind space from one style of play to another almost instantly. But dropping a battle mat, minis and terrain on the table can drastically alter the player's engagement. Next, we'll talk about blades in the dark. If you put a downtime flowchart in the middle of the table every time downtime comes up, you're indicating to the players where you are in that play. Last one, if you're playing Cortex, your table is covered in index cards. Some of there are scene distinctions, but by picking up and dropping new
0: scene distinctions on the table, you're telling the players that a new scene is starting. One of my favorite uses of visual aids is to reduce the chance for information overload. I love NPCs in my games, but sometimes there are scenes with too many, so I develop some visual aid tricks to help with that. For instance, I dropped a bunch of pictures attached to fold-up index cards on the table, They're index card standees. The index card standees had NPC's names, then I covered the names with other index cards. The players could see the people, but not the names. So whenever a player talked to one of the NPCs and learned their name, I revealed it. This meant they could see all the NPCs in the room, but weren't overwhelmed with learning their names all at once, because that's a problem I've seen a ton of times in role-playing games. Now they could move through the scene, interact with the NPCs, and decide who was important and worth remembering as information came out a little at a time
1: i thought that was really useful when we were trying to talk to all the people in the first encounter with the duke we had no idea who was who we had no idea what they were doing but we knew they were all important and as we got to meet each one we could have a visual representation of them because you also had picture cards that we immediately associate with them later on mm-hmm. in later adventures when you'd put one of those people on the table. It immediately brought us back to who that person was, what they were doing. Even though their name was there, we had a, a visual representation of them that helped kind of remind us, like, this is a good guy or this is the person we're trying to work with. And so on it made, a, made it a lot easier to keep track of all those people because the uh, NBC laden game. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, uh, Philly, want to keep going?
2: Yeah, I've been using doodles as part of my GMing these days to help my players understand what's going on, what's going on. But as an unexpected benefit, it's helped me to retain information about the session as well. Just by looking at the sketches in my book, I can remember what happened each session. I know they also help the players remember in the same way. They really do. And our last and potentially the most important benefit of all is a visual aid provides another point to hang our shared narrative experience on. Be it battle mats, murder boards, pictures, videos, websites, index cards, play aid sheets, or eldritch statues that weep blood. All of these help create that shared play space we want to inhabit together. What was that? tight. Thank you. I think he
0: said that. Uh, let's move on. It, it, let, why don't we talk about some types of visual aids we use at the game table and the tools we use to provide them. Uh, I will start. So let's talk about a picture. So a picture is worth a thousand words or so they say. And I believe there's some truth to it, as an image with some verbal description allows us to convey a large quantity of information in a short amount of time. Pictures also become shorthand when you need to reiterate something. We can also get all high-tech by using websites like Google Earth to show places we normally couldn't travel to, and provide some flexibility in being able to zoom in and around different cities in your game if it's set in modern day Truth be told, the web in general has a ton of tools we can use, from images of NPCs, locations,
2: maps, symbols, and icons, to interactive media like Google Earth. Similar to a picture, a quick sketch is a powerfully flexible tool. It allows you to instantly depict anything you want and can quickly draw. Combined with audio description, like talking, you can point out things of importance, show off space and how it impacts the situation and give yourself a visual record of your game.
1: Written words, phrases and sentences are a very powerful game tool. There are games which mathematically rely on the visual media these days. Peyton Cortex being just two of the many games. Even if they don't have mechanical weight, an index card with a word or phrase on it can really help highlight the most important parts of a scene, situation, or an encounter.
2: Costumes, items you can hold, battle mats with minis on them, puzzles that can be manipulated with your hands. Cthulhu, for And eldritch statues that weep blood. Great Cthulhu, thanks you. Tell their eldritchness their welcome. These are all objects you and the players at your table can manipulate, providing not just a visual, but a tactile piece to your game table. Props and costuming can let players know who they're talking to. This doesn't have to be full blown. Just little things like putting on a hat or sliding an arm into your shirt to denote someone who's lost an arm can let the players know who they're talking to. Battle mats and minis help provide visual representations for combats, which can become messy in the players and GM's heads if they're not great at remembering what's going on.
1: (gasps) What's going on?
2: And where things are. Even a relative positioning map can help out with that. As a bonus, if you have the proper miniatures, it can help with the
0: visual depictions of what players are dealing with.
2: It can also be fun to hand a player an item that they find in the game world, a coin or an amulet, whatever gives the player a little piece of the game world to hold onto and remember, especially if the item is important to the game. Information
1: boards are the last bit we're going to talk about it. Honestly, they
2: combine a lot of what we've been talking about into a nice, neat, compact
1: package of visual information. One of the better visual tools out there is the mirror board. And it can take everything we've talked about on it except for real world objects. But you could roll out a cork board to pin stuff to as well, which are all real world objects, or a whiteboard which you could use magnets to put things on and have a space to doodle. They're great tools, versatile, and can add a fun component to your game if you allow the players to mess around with them. You could also make it the player's responsibility to keep the information on these boards updated and relevant to the game's effects.
0: Now that we've talked about all of the tools, there's something to keep in mind. While they can help you if they're overused or used inconsistently or incorrectly, they can cause a lot of problems. Here's a few examples.
2: A pitcher is open to interpretation. If your description that goes along with the pitcher works contrary in some way, it could cause confusion between you and the players. You have a battle mat and minis. You've mostly been playing with a tactical grid, but for
1: one encounter you switch to relative positioning. This could cause some confusion with the players, even if you're clear about things for that one encounter. This is especially true in a game where tactical placement, movement, and templates are a thing. Be prepared to err in favor of players who might not have the same visual in their head that you do. This happens when I switch from tactical maps to theater of their mind for role-playing games. Someone asks how many fascists can I hit with the
0: fireball, and I always assume the best placement, then add one or two. Don't let setting up your visual media take too much time. This could kill your pace, eat up your playtime, and take your players out of the game. Even if your visual media is interesting and useful, it could be detracting from the overall play experience. Also, the creation or curation of visual media can add additional time to your session prep. Take this into account with what types of media you want to use. In order to cut down some time, develop a list of sites and sources that you can use to get visual media from so that you can gather your assets faster.
2: So keep in mind that visual media is a tool that you can use to help facilitate your game experience, but it should be used with the purposes we've talked about above to deliver information more efficiently, to set tone, add impact, provide another method for processing information, to help with transitions, to reduce the chance for information overload, to help everyone remember and retain information, and to provide another point to help build that shared narrative space.
0: That's a bunch of information on visual information. Before we move on to some more discussion of visual aids, I'm going to tell everybody about another show on Mr. Director Mark Productions. Or, or should Jerry do it? Jerry, why don't you tell everybody about another show on Mr. Director Mark Productions? Bonus experience. Ray and Monica
1: are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor
0: gaming has to offer. I do love me some quality silly humor. Indeed, very good humor. Although they said it was dumb humor. So yes. I mean, that's, it's okay to use dumb then. That was their blurb, right? That was their blurb. I'll be honest, I've listened to it
1: and I don't think it's that dumb. I've heard dumber things on the internet. Yeah, me too. Yeah.
0: They're actually pretty smart. Yeah. It's uh, round table time, right? We're going to discuss the topic of visual media and tabletop role-playing games, starting with the following questions. Uh, Bob, do you, I mean, not Bob. Bob, you're not here. Phil, do you want to read that first question?
2: Mm-hmm. Question number one in this episode so far, we've talked about a few examples of visual media that I thought we could elaborate further upon. Question number one in this episode, we talked about a few examples of visual media that I thought we'd elaborate further upon. Each of us are going to talk about one of those examples, uh, starting with Chris. How about going back to those uh, character image cards? Sure. I'll talk about character
0: image cards. I had a situation where I had a bunch of NPCs, like like a dozen NPCs, and I'm like, I've played Call of Cthulhu games where you get like all of the NPCs all at once. And I'm right. like, it doesn't work.
2: Welcome I- to the party. Right?
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can never remember who's who, what their names are, what they care about. Cause you can see everybody's picture. And usually you can see everybody's name where you don't see everybody's name. Then I forget who people's names are. So I came up with a system. I was like, well, what if I attach them to cards? Like I said before, write their names in the cards, like little standies and then cover them. And then every time somebody talks to somebody, I just pull it off and psychologically in my head, it was like, well, you get a bunch of visual information right off the bat. It's interesting. Like mm-hmm. people get to look at the stuff. Sure. And they're like, who do I want to talk to? Who looks fascinating? Right. Yep. So then they, when they talk to somebody and they get their name, I could just pull the thing off and then there's a name, not yeah.
2: 20 names. Well, and it's good mm-hmm. because you also by covering it, you didn't disrupt your play flow because all you had to do is remove the card to show the name. You didn't have to like pick it up, take it, write the name on it, put it back down. Mm hmm. Right. So that was actually really smart. Like that little tidbit right there is a really good way to keep flow. And it did cost me more prep time.
0: That yep. took me like, you know, 20 minutes to put together because sure. it, it was a dozen people. But I think psychologically it works pretty well. I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, right? None of us, any of us here are. No. But like visual information is easier to process, I think. Mm-hmm. And words are harder to process. Yeah. So yeah, I don't have to process all those words. I can just do it one at a time. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Jerry. You played in that game. Why don't you? You 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 talked a little bit about it already. Why don't you tell me some more about it? I thought it worked really well because the pictures you chose,
1: you didn't just pick them because, like, okay, this is an elf. You picked them because each of them. Um,
0: I tried with the, my limited
1: the, options. The, the depicted kind of their kind of their a little bit of their personality, and how they were dressed and so on. And it affected how we interacted with them in a
0: good way. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. My, the visual media that I chose, Mm -hmm. like some of the character cards that I chose were on purpose, but some of them were, all right, I'll pick this card and it will inspire stuff about the character, which is a thing that visual media can do for us in, in in our prep too. like, Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the thing. Okay. That's, that's a thing that I didn't think of before. And now I can add that into my, my scene, my character, my game, whatever. Well, that's all I have to say about character image cards. Uh, Jerry, why don't you tell me about the Miro board that you're all using at MBA? The Miro board was kind of interesting because it was something I'd never
1: seen before. It's basically like a visual whiteboard and a visual murder board all together in one. You can take topics and put them on post-it notes and put as much information as you want. You can make the post-it notes as big or as small. You can color code them. You can uh, put several of them next to each other and draw arrows and lines to each other. So you can keep a, a conscious flow going. You can have separate colors for things like characters and locations and what really helped it out is that as the game goes on between sessions one of the players gathers all the information together and puts it in a little box so that session 1 here's all the stuff we that's got in cool. session 1 session 2 and you can even take things so if something comes up in session 2 that relates to session 1 you can draw a line from from that clue in session 1 over to session 2
0: it's actually a murder yeah oh, it's, it's,
1: it a, yeah it's, it's a murder board but you can also upload other information but it's made it very useful for keeping track of people places things We've also got a separate post-it note or a separate murder board piece that has all the characters' names and roles on them because we play every two weeks. And sometimes when you sit down, you forget, okay, what's Sean's character's name? Where we've got, here's the character's name, here's their role in the game. So you can instantly go back. And so it helps with the immersion in the game. Because So instead of saying, Sean, what do you do? We can go, um, Ludo, you're our driver. What would we do? You know, we can immediately remember who's who. Now, six, seven sessions in, it's a lot easier. But the first couple of sessions, it was nice to be able to bring that up. And it's the kind of thing that you can share. So some of them have the murder board up on their phone. I bring my tablet and set it up so that myself and the person that's next to me can look at it while we're playing. We can keep adding notes to it as we go.
2: We have it up on the TV. It's up on the TV.
1: And then after the game, because we're all taking notes on the murder board, after the game, both Phil is the GM and Glenn, who's a friend of the show, who who does a really good job with note taking. He hosted an episode. Yep. Mm -hmm. Can go in and edit our notes up, double check on things that we've all taken. Because some people take handwritten notes and upload them. But it's meant that with a game like *Night's Black Agents, which NBA is *Night's Black Agents, nothing to do with basketball, which is basically Jason Bourne fighting vampires. It helps from session to session. We're trying to track down a mystery or keep track of who's who or go back to who's who. We come up, to, we encounter something in session five that, oh, we, 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 we talked to that person. Who was that again? You jump back to the murder board. There they are. And then draw a line down. Now we're back to this is another connection, especially when things that don't seem important but get put on the murder board then pop up later on. And as the GM, I don't know if Phil's actually done this for us. I think he did a couple of times. Hmm. Some things that we missed, names, places, things. Phil's just put them on the murder board. Sometimes with a description, sometimes not.
2: I don't have to do it very often, but, but it's happened. But mm-hmm. Glenn's actually the primary keeper of the board. Yep. My job is basically just to kind of come in and check it. Or if there's a question, like... And like, you know, just come in and say, like, oh, it's this. It's
0: going to be useful for you, too, to see what the players know and what they don't know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I use it. I mean, we use it as a recap. Mm -hmm. So like when we start a mission or like when we pick up a mission, because often a mission will take like three or four sessions to play through. Mm -hmm. We just bring up the murder board and be like, here's everything you know so far about this mission. Night's bike Agents, that core loop of investigate, then act. Yeah. A lot of times we'll, you know, we'll bring up the investigate part, all the Mm -hmm. notes so that people are like, "Okay, here's what you know. Here's what you don't know. Let's get started.
1: And the last advantage is that we just did this last game session. At the end of the previous session, where we were kind of at a, a crossroads, we were on the list. Here are all the things that we want to investigate. And here are all the things we want to do before the next game. We want to make this. We want to research this, whatever, and have that all listed. So as soon as we sit down, it wasn't just a recap of what we've done. It was also a reminder of... These are the things we were planning on so that the investigation goes smoother because we have some direction. It makes it easier to sit down at the table and within 2 minutes get back into character and get into the game because it's all there for you.
2: I literally took that list from the end of the session <laughs> and wrote it right into the prep. Nice. Like one header at a time and then yep. wrote some like information about each one. Like I had every one of those prepped with like a, you know, few sentences or whatever for each one, ready to go. It Made it very easy for
0: me. It's why the when I when I was putting together the the script for this episode the, the information board, like mm-hmm. it is a hyper powerful tool. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so much, it's everything that we talked about kind of wrapped together, which is why I, I put it that and way. And
2: here, and here's the thing about Miro. So first of all, uh, Miro, M-I-R-O, Miro is free to use. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, You can get a free account on it. Just, you know, log in with Google, get a free account. Um, You can get bigger and badder accounts. Like you, you know, like if you, if you actually paid for it and while it's like, I think invaluable for a mystery game, like Knights Black Agents, you could easily use it for any game. Yeah. Like, it works. the The setup that Glenn did, where basically we just threw notes down, and then at the end we drew a box around it and called it like Mission One. Mm-hmm. It was great, and the fact that you can just paste in pictures, like whatever, like it's. I wouldn't limit it to just a game like Knights Black Agents. I would say if you're playing Knights Black Agents or another Gumshoe game, it's perfect for that game. But like you could totally use it for organizing any kind of role playing game. Sure,
1: and, and as good as Miro is, and I think it's still the so far the best of the virtual whiteboards that I've seen for for that kind of detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do understand from the meeting that I have with people from Zoom mm-hmm. that Zoom is also going to be doing yep. they, they have a whiteboard as part of their program now too, and they went to Miro to get the information. They haven't quite gotten to the point where you can just import Miro into Zoom, but it's the same thing. So if you've used one, you can use the other. So if you're a Zoom person, and I'm sure the other online game systems like this, there are now virtual whiteboards that work that way.
2: Yeah, Zoom, Zoom's got it built in. Microsoft Teams has it built in. So if you have a Microsoft account and you're using Teams for any reason, which is just as good as using Zoom, mm-hmm. um, Teams also has a built-in whiteboard that yep. you can do like everything that we talked about. Honestly, if Roll20 just made one or two adjustments, you could do it in Roll20. It's yeah. just like you you just need to be able to easily drop a note and write in it which yep. is not always the easy, not the easiest It's story. not the easiest thing. No. A few tweaks on the roll 20 side they could make a pretty lethal the, the version t- of it. The roll
0: 20 thing has the thing that the Miro board can't do which has got the the, the tactical power Oh, you can't thing do Yeah,
2: you can't do tactical. Well, I'm not saying you can't. It would be a heroic effort to do a tactical like map thing yeah, in Miro. I would I would not do it. I mean yeah, it's really easy to like resize the the, yeah. the tokens and things
0: like that and drop maps in, but yep. you could do in Miro too. It's got layers, I assume Miro's got layers uh yeah i think it does because if it's got layers and yeah because the, the nice thing about roll 20 is it's essentially like photoshop
2: and here's the thing right one doesn't exclude the other no not if at you all. were playing online and, and you're running your game on roll 20 open up another tab yep. and open just, up a mirror board yeah, to organize notes and information stick the link to the mirror board inside yeah. of the roll 20 notes 100 yep. yeah, percent. Right no there. competition Nope. no competition on that mm-hmm. all right um, phil yeah doodling right i'm going to talk about the doodling in um in aux Ox is a game where we have this alien civilization known as the builders. They're not here anymore. Like 10,000 years ago, they like something happened to them and they've left these like giant artifacts. And like, that's one of the things about the builders. Like nothing is small. Like the builders build things that are like on a planetary scale, Mm -hmm. Um, huge towers, like whatever shock absorbers for fault lines, whatever. And I have to describe this stuff to you guys a lot, and there is no other reference to whatever it is that's in my head. Like there's no, oh, it's like this thing and like this movie, like there's nothing I can use in comparison. And we were doing a pretty good job of it. We ran into a couple places early in the game where I would like go back and explain a thing like, oh, no, 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 it's not laid out like this. It's like that. And that's when I got on the idea of like, what if I just doodle it? I'm not good at drawing, but good enough. And so we did. I just started like making these drawings of like, oh, it's this thing. It's like roughly this shape and your ship lands here and like draw an arrow or whatever. And it conveyed more information.
0: It helps. Mm -hmm. It helps. I used to play in a fourth edition game and I know that's like tactical battle map and stuff and whatnot, but Drew Smith played in that game we would sometimes switch out who was game mastering, which is weird, right? Like I haven't, that's fun. Yeah. In the same campaign. That's interesting. Yeah. But, uh, Drew is an exceptional drawer and he would just like sketch stuff real quick and be like, I get it. And I'm not that good of a drawer, but I also just sketch stuff sometimes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if I can point and be like, this is this, this is this, this is this. And even like write a little note on there next to it, Mm -hmm. with a little arrow pointing at it it works really well. Like I didn't even think about it until you said it like, Hey, let's standardize the conversation about doodling. I'm like, yeah, that it's a really powerful tool.
2: Well, if, powerful. if you guys remember my old game room, I used to have that big whiteboard yep. right behind me, mm-hmm. and I would just turn around with a dry erase marker. Like when we were playing like DCC and stuff, i be like, ah, eh, the room's like roughly this size. You guys are here. Like there'd be these terrible drawings, but it was enough. Like it was enough. Like once that was drawn, you'd be like, okay, uh, I think I'm gonna come around like this way to get to the statue.
0: Yeah, you never really think about it until you like sit and think about it. like, oh yeah, we all do that. And it's really mm-hmm. great because because it's, it's flexible. Like yeah. you could just let me just sketch this real fast, point in a few things and be like, this is what this is, this is what this is, this is what this is.
2: Yeah, and I now have a portable system for that, right? So mm-hmm. I have these semi permanent markers on this uh spiral notebook thing that I can basically draw and then hold it up to you guys. Yep. Or if I need to, I could plunk it in the middle of the table, but most times I just mm-hmm. hold it up and show you guys.
1: Mm-hmm. And we just say that we can say, Well, we want to go over here. Yeah. Right? Or we want to look at this, or I'm here, you're there, we're here. Exactly. Which makes a big difference in how we're doing the game.
0: yeah so. It also helped when I, I I hate letting players do mapping in D and D games. Yeah, so I'll just sketch what they can see yeah. on, on
2: the table or on a whiteboard. Before we jump to the next question, while we were talking, I had two thoughts that went through my head. Sure. So first of all, one other form of visual media: table tents. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Conveys a small amount of information, but important information: yep. your character, character name, name, pronouns, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes species. You can put role. You can put class. Like. You can do those things works great, especially in con games. When everyone doesn't know each other, you put, mm-hmm. you know, your player name and all that stuff. Plus,
0: plus, people who like to be artsy and draw and stuff, like, yeah, absolutely. they can do some cool things and that, that can inform either who they are as a player or who they are as a character. Yeah.
2: The other one, which I think is probably my earliest encounter with visual aids, mm-hmm. was Expedition of the Barrier Peaks. So Expedition of the Barrier Peaks, if you don't need a colonoscopy this year because you're a youngin, let me explain. Expedition of the Barrier Peaks was a AD&D module that came out in the early 80s. And it is about a party of adventurers who find a spaceship crashed on on the planet And Greyhawk. The module came with two books. The first book is the actual module for the GM, right? has all the things that the GM needs, you know, description, stats, whatever. The second book was all illustrations and the illustrations were numbered so that when you read in the module, it would tell you like, go to illustration 15 and show this to the players, Mm -hmm. which was great because you're trying to explain to them they're on a spaceship without using sci-fi terms. So you're just like, oh, you walk down the corridor and you see this and you're holding up a picture of a robot, right? But you're not saying robot. And so the players are like... I don't know, it looks threatening, like I'm going to cast Magic Missile on it or whatever, you know, like that kind of thing. And it was great. The picture book was as big, if not bigger than the actual module. A lot of the early AD&D module
1: had a lot of stuff. There were a couple that had picture books. There were some that had pictures for you for things like this is what you see in the room. And there might be two pictures. One is what the players see in the room. And the second is what's actually in the room after the players, you know, trigger something off or something. I really liked those artwork and visual aids quite a bit. Mm-hmm.
0: We're going to talk in the after show about when that didn't work really well, but we'll talk about that in the after show. Tale of the Comet did that too, which is the second edition box set. with okay. the same thing. As it was the remake of Exhibition of the Berry Peaks. Oh, really? And there was a novel that went along with it that I read. It's it pretty cool. good, actually. That's I liked cool. it.
2: Expedition is one of my favorite.
0: Expedition is great. I mean, I love... I mean, I'm a sci-fi mixing, kid. I like so, mixing yeah. my sci-fi and my, my sure, fantasy. Right. Sure. I'm a big fan of that, which is why I'm so excited for Spelljammer. Uh, what?
2: <laughs> it sounds like you're saying it to the tantrum. Like,
0: Spelljammer, tantrum, tantrum, Spelljammer, Spelljammer,
2: Spelljammer. I'm going to roll us into question two. Yeah, you should do that. All right. All right uh, question two. What are some of your go-to sources for visual media? I've got a couple of them. Um, first of all, I love...
1: Dry erase cards and dry erase maps. Yeah. Um, dry erase, you, you can go on Amazon these days and buy a whole stack of dry erase three by five cards and or, or play, actually playing card size as well. And they're great for just making notes on. You can use them for characters names. These days when I'm GMing a game, I just keep a stack of them there. And if I mention something important like a, a character's name or a place or the name of a bar they're going into, even if the players come up with it themselves that they say things like, oh, we're going go to a bar. Well, which one is it? It's, it's the happy halfling. Somebody writes happy halfling tossed on the table. Now it's there. Obviously, in games like Cortex, they're really useful for putting down things like what are the traits and assets, but also in the game that Chris mentioned earlier, when he did the city of the of the Tieflings, he laid out cards on the table describing the different areas of the city. So we he laid them out in the order they were in the city. So you had like... Describing
0: was mm-hmm. one or two words. Yeah. Yep.
1: yep. And it was like, here's, here's the entrance. Here's the marketplace. Here's the East Market, West Market. Here's the amphitheater. Here's the palace. And not only did it give us an idea of kind of how the city was laid out, but also gave us something like... Oh, let's go to the West market. Let's go look there for clues or talk to somebody or gee, let's go talk. Let's go to the amphitheater and do something there, which and th- they did last game. Yes. And it gives us just go, something to, to to react to. But I was
2: going to say at some point I'm stealing this for Cortex and then yeah. under the underside of all the cards, I'm going to put the scene distinctions. Nice. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. that like you can see the general layout. But like when you go to the market, flip like it. flip it over and be like, here are the distinctions for this place. It's clever. Yeah.
1: The second thing I really like is I, I used to be a big minis person. Oh, props. Slut. I love props. I like visual aids. I like things I can put my hands on and touch and play with. But these days, it's tougher and tougher. We're moving around to carry on boxes of minis. I'm a big fan of plastic minis and paper minis. A lot of paper minis, hold up paper craft buildings, that kind of stuff that you're going to stick in a box somewhere. So I think that adds, not for every single encounter, but when I'm running a game that has a tactical element to it, it's fun to sometimes put things down and talk about them. Can I in- yeah. insert now? Because
0: yes. I, one of mine is that. I'll just say it now. Oh. Jerry brought me these plastic flat minis that are like really nice artwork. Skinny minis. The skinny minis. They stick in, uh, oh. in the stands. Yeah, like they're little color form guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: they got little standies. Yeah. They're, they're very cool. There's and again, hundreds and hundreds of them. And economical in space. You mm-hmm. can have multiples of them. Yeah. Yeah. What's nice is you can put about 800 of them into
1: like half of a standard backpack and still room for your books and stuff. Mm-hmm. Little visual aids. I had players one time who found an alligator hat. And so nice. And so when I was playing Crown of the Kobold King, whenever they were talking to Kobolds, I would put it on my head. And I was going to be the kobold
0: (laughs) One of the first games I actually played as a player with Fillin was at a convention. We were playing goblins. We're at
2: qcc We were playing We Are Goblins. Yeah,
0: and I took my dice bags. I had a frog familiar, like a toad, and I just put it on my head. And it was my frog. (laughs) Did that the whole game. Man, that was like a hundred years ago. It was a long time ago. It's just fun to do stuff like that, right? It keeps people in character too, though. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And the last thing that Phil
1: reminded me is that one of my favorite props, Legos.
2: Lego. Can't believe you, I had to remind you. You can this. you can
1: build buildings out of Legos. <laughs> you can have vehicles. When I'm when I was running Savage Worlds a lot, instead of trying to buy cars and trucks, I just would either build it or make it. I have carriages and that. I actually have a, a trilogy of adventures that's all Star Wars Lego. And for a lot of games, I'll just come with a bunch of hair pieces and hats, heads, and then tops and bottoms and that people build their characters themselves however they wish to. They're about the same size as 25 millimeter, 35 millimeter scare of minis. So they'll fit with other things people use. It's easy to get representation. And once you start collecting Mi- Legos, you can build pretty much anything. Did you, you make cool little
2: bases for them or anything?
1: Yeah, I just get little two by, th- I get the little two by three flat plates. Yeah. Because they'll stand on those, they don't take up too much space. Sure. They make Lego mini bases, but they're much, much bigger.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, no, you'd, um, want, you'd want
1: one inch squares. No, I, mean. I, I give them, I give them the, little, the little two by one pip bases. That enables us to, to keep them on the table, but just like everything else, you put a car on the table, they're going to interact with it. You put a, a carriage on the table or a horse or a wolf yep. and somebody at Lego plays Dungeons and Dragons because um, when they started doing their blind pack minis in every single one, there is some sort of, it started with, oh, it's a knight. Oh, it's a witch. It's a wizard. Oh, that's an orc. That's a goblin. That's a Medusa with a snake body. That's a minotaur. That's a cyclops. Now there's a female cyclops and so on. And so... I mean, we're yeah. mostly just classic fantasy stuff. And they have their fantasy games now. Yeah, th- those came and went. Uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah. But, but they did those. Yeah, the Heroica. They're bringing them back, though. Oh, there you go. But, of course, but, but, everything but, comes around. But, but, it, but it's very obvious that when some new role-playing game comes out, you'll suddenly see them put out something that's very thematic, which is fine because it's... You can, the minis are, you can, you can generally get them. From Why between. wouldn't you jump on that cash? Exactly. Right. I would. And depending on that. where you get them, you get them firmware for anywhere from like $3 to, to $7 for a mini, which I paid more than that for a mini. I still have to paint and so I can get exactly what I want. And these guys have seen, I've got boxes full of just heads. So mm-hmm. Lego heads. Lego heads, not just any heads, but Lego That's heads. That's good. That's a good clarification. Confirmed. Thank you. Confirmed. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Phil, what are your some things?
2: Probably my fastest is Google image search. I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Gonna say, yeah. We're not going to even have to talk about me because most of mine are just yours. Yeah. I mean, are I just really quick, like if I'm looking for something, especially like for when I'm playing NBA, like NBA is really easy. Like I need a Dutch male forties Google image, search it, look through. I mean, 90% of the time I'm picking actors or whatever, but like, who cares? Like it's yeah. my NBA game. I'm yeah. casting people. Mm-hmm. But for any major NPC in my NBA game, I go right into um, Google image search and grab pictures for my long live the queen a game. We actually have a page called the lookbook where all of the ongoing NPCs I have grabbed images of. Some of them are modern. Some of them are period pieces and things like that. But like there's an actor or actress for all of the major characters in that game. And occasionally, you know, we'll just pop it open. Send and I are playing on Zoom, so I'll just pop it open on shared screen and just be like, oh, yeah, this is what Jackette looks like, that kind of thing, and then, like, you know, turn it off and we go back to playing. But mm-hmm. it allows us to kind of keep an idea of, like, what all these NPCs, like, who they all look like. And I'm very okay with being like, well, that person is, you know, basically this actress.
0: I'm waiting for the AI stuff to get a little better.
2: I've tried oh, some of it, the, the AI, yeah, that that the, when that it's, when that peaks and it's going to get better, like fast, it'll be amazing. And what I'm talking about is the AI
0: when it combines different uh, features of, of yep. people to make new images yep. of people. It's really cool. It's yep. just not there yet, It's
2: yeah. not quite. They don't quite look real. Uh, another one on my list, obviously, we talked about it in the show is Google Earth. Uh, when I'm playing a modern game, no matter what modern game I'm playing, I always use Google Earth. Like when I did I hunt, I used Google Earth for Philadelphia. Uh, in Night's Black Agents, it is absolutely invaluable. It does, I will say this, as a warning, you will chew up time doing scene locations for your game. Like, I will start a new city in NBA and then I'll be like, office buildings, right? And I'll have to like sit and I will look at office buildings for like a half hour plus till I find one that I'm like, this office building looks interesting enough to set the the game at. Mm-hmm. You and don't just want some brutalistic piece of... sometimes. Sometimes I do. Other times, like, for instance, we did um, we did Budapest a couple of uh, cities ago and I watched a Rick Steves YouTube video on places in in Budapest. And there was this uh, park of Soviet statues. And I was like, oh, man, this has to go in my game. Mm -hmm. So I then had to, like, jump on Google Earth and be like, "Okay, where is it in the city? Where is it in relation to the other pieces I've picked for the game? Great. Like what's nearby? Like. And, you know, then I went, zoomed in and looked at it all because I had seen a little bit of it on the video, but I like, you know, was able to walk around it in Google Earth. So it is an amazing tool. And if you can project like that's what I do when we play at Sean's, he's got a big TV, like a 40 incher up on the wall, and I just hook my. Laptop into it I'm and use sure it as a second. Big anymore, but. No, but I mean for hanging on his wall, yeah. like for his game room, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, it's nice. Like it's big enough that everyone at the table can easily see the sure. screen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we do. I zoom in on a building, and I'm like, "This is the location of interest."
1: It also it also adds a little bit because when we we're trying to plan heist scenarios, we can look at it and say, "Okay." It's a three-story building. That's how tall it is. In the one situation, we're like, okay, we have to sneak up on this building and oh, look, there's a line of trees here we can park our car behind. Or look, there's the elevator penthouses on the roof. That's a good access point because once we see that door, we'll be able to go down the stairs (laughs) or things like that. We can just go through and look at things and it saves us trying to constantly go up with things or we can ask questions like, is that a door there? doesn't matter if it is or not. Phil can say, yes, that's an access point. Thanks to
2: Jerry, I've learned more about what the rooftops of buildings are for. Jerry's like, oh, the elevator's here. He's like, see this thing? That's like where the elevator mechanism, the penthouse. is. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I didn't <laughs> even know that. I'm like, OK, that's like that's where you get off on this floor is like yeah. over here kind of thing. Or he's like, oh, he's like these like these air vents like are, you know, these are exchangers for that. I'm like, OK, yes. Very cool. <laughs>
0: It's to, just to, you should find out what the people at your game table can do. Or oh, do I just like, and then I think
1: them, we've you know, talked about provide, it before. Yeah. Provide information. To, to, to be honest, I do actually, I make a point though when I say, I say that looks like it's the yes. elevator, that looks like an air handler, because I don't want to create. <laughs> eh. I, I, well, yeah, but you're, you're good about this. Not every GM Fine. likes being told. So when I'm a player, I also I make a point of, that looks like an air handler. Um, it's likely to have this and that. Is that what's going on? Because Phil could always say, no, no, that's actually just a vent. You can't get in there. We're like, okay, yeah. good.
2: I'm like, nope, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah Phil's <laughs>
1: good. But just as a player with a GM, you don't you don't want yeah. to take over the description. Yeah. You you, you want to do it as a question answer. So the GM can yes and kind of thing instead of just players saying, no, no, you're wrong. That's an elevator shaft. It's, you know, remember, that kind of
0: thing. I remember playing D&D with Drew Smith, who's a geologist. <laughs> yes. And we would ask him what the rock is in the caves. And after yep. a while, he got so annoyed with us, he would just be like limestone.
2: That was every cave was lime yeah, zone
0: zone. Yeah.
2: <laughs> My last one on the list is, mm-hmm. uh, and this one's specific. I've used this for a couple different games. It's called Medieval Fantasy City Generator by Watabu, yeah. W-A-T-A-B-O-U. Mm-hmm. Put a link for the show notes. It's on itch. This thing's really cool. It makes medieval city maps. So it just randomly generates a city map. And there's a bunch of things you can go in and tweak on it, like how big it is. How many roads does it have a wall is it near water is there a river and then it just randomly makes them so i actually use this in forbidden lands every time i needed to make a layout for like a town or city i just i made one in that and i think you remember i showed you guys um is this the one where you can set
1: like hamlet village town city so you can actually set it instantly generates a general yep
2: uh those are really useful it was really actually handy for numenera Since Numenera is science fantasy, I was like, oh, you guys come across a town. The layout of buildings are just polygons. Yeah. Like, it doesn't really denote what they are. And it's totally passable for anything you need a town up to a medieval city for. And again, for uh, Numenera, it was perfectly fine to be like, oh, yes, this town has a wall. Like, of course it does. This is Numenera. Who knows what a wander in? Those three are a lot of my go to's. And they're really quick, which is what I really like about them couple searches zooming in on a city and like i said that fantasy city generator is great if you just want a picture of a city to show your players like mm-hmm. oh you approach town from the southeast it looks like this yeah it's
0: got a nice community too yeah i'm looking at it, i like it nice.
2: you can actually change the coloring too like it's in sepia yeah but, you, but can you can change it to black and white and there's color ones yeah it's it's, it's a it's a cool little website
1: it is Be- before ghosts of salt marsh came out i was running a lot of the low level D and D games for in fifth edition that were for first edition. And I used something, I don't know if it was that one already, something very similar for the town of Saltmarsh, because the players, if you told them there was a city nearby, they were gonna go to that before they went to the dungeon, <laughs> which is fine. So having a generic town really quickly that I could just print out and put on this is the bar it's so nice to have those and just as a visual aid, the players get much more involved in playing it because they can see it. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it becomes a town worth defending. Yeah,
0: yeah, know? absolutely. Chris. Let's move on to question three. Why don't you, gentlemen, tell me, I use the term loosely, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> tell us about one of your more memorable pieces of visual media in a game.
2: Yeah, I'm actually going to bring up Drew Smith again. what we talk about, the about show, that guy right? a lot? Yeah, grew up into the show. So I hired Drew when I was running uh, Hydra Hackers and playtesting, hired Drew to make me a map of what the dried out Niagara Falls would look like. It's really yeah. cool. And it's a great, it, it's great black and white pen Uh, illustration of the upper falls, which is this tourist area and the lower falls, which is this um, kind of uh, slum. And uh, it was great. And I laminated it, of course. And when I would run play tests, I would just plunk it on the table and I would just be able to point to it. And, you know, people be like, oh, where's the casino? Oh, well, it's in the upper falls and it's located right about here. And I just tap some random Mm -hmm. square on it. But again, enough that when I said to people like, oh, it's on Goat Island, which isn't really an island anymore because there isn't any real water, but there's just holographic water, but goat islands right here. Yep. Totally Mm -hmm. worked. And, and it just looked really good. Like Drew, I mean, Drew's artwork is very nice and I was very happy to just uh, commission it. He's working on something for me right now.
0: Yeah. It's good stuff. I'm a, I'm right. I might be writing an adventure for Halloween to publish for for encoded. Yeah. Sweet. So uh, you'll hear more about that later. Yeah. What do you got? When I was playing fourth edition D and D, which is highly tactical, right? Yeah, yeah. The last two encounters of the campaign that I ran, I had built two encounters. One was a three-dimensional box where I put Velcro strips on the bottom of all the characters' minis so that when the gravity would flip and whatnot, they could either be on top of the terrible Shoggoth-like orb thing that was floating in the middle of this box that I built or could attach themselves to any of the sides of the uh, cube, which was pretty cool for them, like a really nice little visual thing and i had built it all previous like beforehand so that like it didn't take up any time. Yep. And then the last encounter was on the roof of this tower called Dragonspire and there were like a bunch of arches and a giant like stairway up to a giant arch with a curtain in front of it that was like symbolizing like a portal being opened and they had to deal with that and it was like if you put three encounters in one essentially. Yeah, yeah. It was a great time. And it looked beautiful on the table using just like foam core and like the gardening foam, the green stuff. Mm-hmm. You used yeah. a lot of that stuff because a lot of the coloring was green so it was thematically appropriate. It's very yeah. shapeable, it easy to yeah, sculpt. Yep. Got a, one of those wire cutters Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. that, that could cut through the foam. Yep, mm-hmm. yeah. foam, a foam cutter. Foam cutter, yeah. yeah. It was fun. It, it looked really cool on the table. It was a really good time. They all really appreciated it. It was worth it. What about you, Jerry?
1: When I was running D&D 5th Edition, uh, I inherited a campaign from a GM who passed away. So we ended up playing with players who really hadn't played that much of 5th Edition, some who hadn't played much of role-playing at all. So I decided I was just going to run a bunch of the... First edition DD modules in fifth edition. I started with Palace of the Silver Princess, but I ran the taboo version, the quote unquote taboo version that got yanked because um, it's got a lot more backstory to it. And for that, I needed a town with my players being my players. I set th- I didn't set them in front of the castle. I set them in the valley and they spent three weeks just walking around the valley, talking to people, doing this. They never had a chance to do that. And then they finally went into the the dangerous area to the abandoned town. And they did that at the end of one week. So when they came the following week, I'd set up the entire town on my game table with 3D buildings and towers and maps and trees and fences and the whole thing. They were third level. It was the first time they were going to encounter hobgoblins. And for like the first half of the adventure it was a fun tactical scene where they finally got a chance to do all the cool stuff and climb the ranger, got to use the ranger skills and the wizard got to cast spells that actually affected things and did things like climbed up on buildings and worked as a team and so on but also just got them excited about it. They came and they saw this already laid out. And I had all their minis lined up at the edge of the town. They couldn't see anything else. It just went very, very well. I set that up ahead of time and I set it up on half of the table so that when the gate, when that was done, we just moved to the other table and kept playing. Oh, that's smart. So that we didn't have to take time to take it down. I took it down after the, after the session. Because as you mentioned, don't spend too much time doing a lot of visual stuff like that. You
0: just, you don't want it to... Mess with the flow of your game. Yeah, that's that's the thing.
1: You don't want to stop the game to set. Even when we did the one with the corpse crab, I had all the stuff sitting in a box next to me, so that when we took a ten minute bio break, I just set up stuff on the table for that one too. That can make a simple encounter into something epic, just like Chris's game with with the Velcro cube. That becomes a, an
0: encounter they never forget. Well, that's our uh, our look at visual media and tabletop role playing games. If you want more information about this, Happy Jacks just did a episode on visual information. You can go check nice. out Kimmy and her crew. They they, they talk about this stuff. We hope that the next time you are looking to add a visual component to your game that this will, advice will be of some help. Now, why don't we move over to the conversation corner? Cool.
1: So Jerry, why don't you give me your, one of your, your everything else or your one thing? I'll do my one thing first. My one thing was our D&D game. Last week, Friday, we had uh, the next stage of Chris's um, Archmage's Legacy game where we put together a plan try to rescue a bunch of people we were outnumbered we not only were we outnumbered four to one but we were four characters and a bunch of like town guardsmen up against two dozen ogres and a bunch of onyx dwarves and some uh darrow mages and some shape-shifting invisible dwargar, and it was just it was it was a dangerous plan um that there was a little miscommunication over how the plan was supposed to go, but we pulled it off. We, re- we rescued the people and only lost a few of the NPC funkies we had with us. And just had a good time with it. And then we went into a dungeon crawl, which was cool.
0: They right? had a they had a plan, and I thought their plan was pretty good because I thought they were going to do uh, one thing. And then, <laughs> and then a couple of the characters decided to just be like, we rush them to like distract them. Like, that was their distraction. Get them, Ray. That's no. your plan? Well, what, what,
1: what happened was we, we had a plan, and then... Leroy Jenkins.
0: Yeah, there was a Leroy Jenkins. There was a Leroy Jenkins. I, uh, I Time-honored tradition. I yeah. described that there was a lot of bad guys there. I, I you should, The players saw the look on my face and like, I don't want to kill you, but I don't know how to not just like, up,
2: up, up, up. I want to one day play a game yeah. where the plan is like, do you want to RRR this? Yes, definitely. <laughs> just be like, yes, let's RRR this. Oh. You know what scene I'm talking about? Oh yes! Oh, I know exactly what <laughs> that's scene. That's a druid. That's a druid dream. You're talking about the bridge jumping scene? No, 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 no spoilers. No spoilers. Yeah, okay. no spoilers. Uh, I
1: think I think we can say the truck scene. And the, leave truck it at is... the truck scene. The truck scene. Leave it at oh, that. The truck yeah. scene. Yes. When that happened, we literally all three of us were like,
0: "That plan was cool." What the fuck? That yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do a. We'll do a media. Sp- like Ugh. we've been doing this. A misdirected mark on things. Like there's a misdirected yeah. mark on the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. Yeah. There's a. Mis- there's going to be a misdirected mark on. Strange New Worlds. Yeah. We'll do a misdirected Mark on RRR.
2: Boy, it'll yeah. be it's gonna be tough to keep Phil calm during that one. That's <laughs> all I'm gonna that's say. That's okay. It can't be any all harder right.
0: than it was to keep Phil during calm during the uh, the Strange New Worlds one. And then I'll hit can my, just hear the excitement in your
1: voice. And then I'll hear hit my everything else real quick. Um, I decided to watch Beverly Hills Cop Two again. I liked it a lot. Been a long time. Interesting to watch and see how things have changed. Um, had my colonoscopy last week, first one. Went through fine. Came out uh, with flying colors. Went <laughs> went through fine. Yes, literally. <laughs> Literally, uh, it's interesting because I have an <laughs> odd reaction to and a siege, which I've talked about before and was the same with this one, I was I bounced out of it real quick. Um, nice black agents was excellent. We pretty much spent the entire session uh, role playing and doing planning. So we're about ready to go into the, the,
2: the big game um, planning and over planning and then simplifying the plan. Bob finally caught on after a while. You guys had gotten so far around the bend. Bob was like, we, we just got to grease these two guys in front of the door. Like, you're like, we just got to grease these two guys and breach this door. And I was like, that's probably a pretty good plan. Like, <laughs> there are five of you. There are two day walking vampires. Like, odds I, are, I, I, guys I, are, odds are in your favor on this.
1: I will say, I think that what I think what tied us up in that thing was the, the fact that you kept stressing about how much surveillance and the fact that this room was sealed off and we couldn't see what was in it. Yeah. And so our thing was, the guys at the door aren't the problem. Knowing what's inside yeah. was the problem. And that so is we a problem. Were, We weren't going to go in until we knew what was inside that room. And that was, I think, that was whatever is. We were all focused on the wrong objective, <laughs> but uh, we, uh, Bob and I, have been playing the hell Trusting out of. Trusting your Al- GM. Bob and I have been playing the hell out of Elheim and having a good time with it. Um, we've just been exploring new things, and Bob has a whole bunch of new mods allowing us to build different colored armor. Apparently, and allowing you stuff. just
2: to build wherever you feel like it. Oh, uh, we fixed that problem.
1: We fixed that. Pro- <laughs> we found out what the problem
2: was. Yeah, Bob. Uh, Bob was telling me Sunday uh, night
1: there was there was, there was a there's a there was a bug in the game that I don't that for some reason I didn't need to have anything any of the tools to build stuff. To just, I just like walk over and build a wall. So, and I wasn't doing it except what, well, I forget sometimes I was like,
2: oh, fire pit, but nothing major. Bill? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take a page from Chris's book and run through my everythings really quick. Good. I like Chris's format here. Uh, I I downloaded and started playing Strike. Game looks cool. Whoa, what a lovely game. And so very-
0: like 20 hours long so
2: yeah i know but i'm not even rushing man i like it's so much fun being the cat yeah i'm in no rush like it's great it's um i'll do i'll do it again another day with more in-depth but it is so very cat that it's it's amusing i played some more doom eternal oh boy i'm trying to like this game a lot but it's like really frenetic and i'm old and uh what your your twitch reflexes are gone (sighs) it's hard man it's hard um i'll talk about some other things about that maybe in the after show because that game's set up in a way that like you really gotta hustle in that game um, played long live the queen with Senda, played a short session. Cause she was just coming back from vacation, but you know what? It's like really nice to just, um, even if we're playing like a um, hour, 90 minutes, whatever, it's really nice. Just sure. get an increment in played some NBA. Jerry talked about that, did a bunch of cooking on Saturday, made nice. some homemade bread. Mm-hmm. And then I followed that up with some um, chicken gnocchi in a cream sauce for Ooh. dinner. It was mm-hmm. delicious. Um, totally. It was a new recipe and totally killed it. So I was very happy. All right. My one thing I found is I found this podcast on TikTok, and then went and started listening to it, and then over the weekend listened to like seven or eight. Wow, episodes! That's a lot of
0: podcast listening for
2: you. I was I was listening to while I was cleaning. I was listening to while I was cooking. Called History of the '90s, and so it's a history podcast. Done. The host she picks different topics in the '90s and does a deep dive. And some of them are uh, some of them are lighthearted, like they uh Like I, I listened to uh, the uh, boy bands. Sure. Um, the Rise of Jerry Springer mm-hmm. and other trash like 90s, you know, TV shows. Uh, I'm just li- I was listening to one on the way down here uh, about console wars between Sega and uh, Nintendo. Nintendo. And so there, there's those, right? there, there was a war. Oh, yeah. Like there was a whole one on X-Files. There was one on witches in the 90s, Ooh, neat. like talking about the craft. Yeah. And um, um, what's the one? What was the uh, shit? What's the one that was the TV show? Sharon Doherty. Um, oh, Charmed. Charmed. Yeah, like you talked all about those. And actually it was interesting because um, the host tied those into uh, third wave feminism. Okay. About how like the, every time that there's a um, wave of feminism, there is a uh, increased interest in witches. Interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting. So so there's those, like the lighthearted ones. And then there's like more serious ones. Like I, I listened to one on um, Ruby Ridge, which was a shootout In the early 90s with the FBI and um, um, and these um, the guy was in trouble for stuff, but it got way it got way out of hand. Uh It was like pre Waco. Sure. Um, AIDS advocacy in the 90s. Uh, I just started one the other day on the Rwandan genocide. Mm. So there's like it's a really like interesting dichotomy of like there are some light episodes that are like fun and kind of, you know, like, you know, the history of the Furby and. Stuff like that.
0: Because history is both fun and also serious. Yeah,
2: and they do a really nice job of it. Like, they do a nice deep dive in each episode. Like, they'll go back outside the 90s. Like, they did, like, the history of Nintendo. Which all the way earlier, yeah. Yeah, which, like, they just did that, like, so that you understood where Nintendo was, like, at the end of the NES. And then, like, the beginning of Sega. Mm-hmm. So, really good. It's, I'm, I was alive for all of this stuff, but it's really interesting to get, like, the backstory to things that I, like oh, I remember that, but I don't remember. Like, for instance, Ruby Ridge was one, like, I remember it, but I didn't really remember the details of it. And then I, like, listened to the episode and was like, oh, yeah, right. Like, this also explains, you know, things about Waco and stuff like that. So really good podcast. You get it everywhere where you get podcasts. I, I got it on, you know, I'm using Apple Podcasts, but I'm, I believe they're everywhere. Like, if you can listen to us, you can listen to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was super good. So I highly recommend it if you're, you know, a fan of the 90s. Like, it's totally worth listening to. Jerry's not here. You want to roll this out ourselves? Well, I have to do mine. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You go. I'm Tell only me. doing. I, I would. I'm only you're not on one. the
0: list. That's why I, I am now. OK, there we go. Uh, I, I put myself in over Bob. I only going to do one thing. OK, and, sure. And because my one thing is going to encompass all the everything else, because it's him. San Diego Comic-Con was this past weekend. Oh, yeah, it was. Which means, one, the D&D movie trailer came out. Yes. I think it came out like right before it. Yeah. Yeah. Right before it, uh, man, th- that trailer looks great. Like I got, sure. I got nothing bad to say. Nah, about no, it. it. Looks fine. I can't wait to, to go and, and watch this movie. Owl bears are awesome. People Owl bears are awesome. <laughs> and it is okay to jump into a gelatinous cube to avoid a displacer
2: beast. You know what? I liked it as a movie. <laughs> yes. As a player in a game might not be my first move, but, um, but it looked, but it looked damn cool.
0: The uh, the trailer is hilarious too, right? Like yeah. it's, it's it's pretty much Guardians of the Galaxy in the D and D world, which I think is exactly what D is, want. right? Yeah. yeah. When people are like, it's not like medieval and not... things. D and D
2: stopped being medieval like sometime in 1987 yep, and or it's something. It's set in the Forgotten Realms, so
0: yeah, like, that works. I don't think there's a single rogue in the actual party though, which is hilarious. They
2: got a bard though. They
0: do. Edge in the bard. Chris Pine playing Edge in the Part. The the part of that trailer that makes me laugh so much too is the part of the end where it's like, uh, uh, "So I'm the one that makes the plans. So you make the plans, and then when the plans fail, I make other plans. So, so you, you make, make plans, plans that fail." <laughs> he also plays the loot, and then it cuts to him playing the loot. I'm like, "Oh, he's a bard. I didn't realize."
2: So good. I liked uh, um I like the casting of Michelle Rodriguez as the barbarian. Yep, it's like as soon as I saw that, I was like, first of all, I love barbarians, it's my favorite class in D D. And then I was like, Oh, I love it so much. Chris Pine is actually the perfect casting to be a bard, in my opinion. Yeah, like yeah. Absolutely. He works perfectly for that. Super charming. I loved I mean, if you go back and look at like Abrams like Abrams Star Trek, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I mean, you totally see where that like the charm and all that stuff like young Kirk fits all of that. So yeah. I started there, but
0: now I'm going to talk about the other thing that I really want to talk about. Yeah. Well, I, I will mention one other thing. The John Wick four trailer
2: came out. Yeah, yeah it did. Yeah, that looks yeah. Cool. yummy. Yes, yeah, it looks. That uh, by Ooh. the way, that comes out like two days after. It's two days after my birthday yeah. and like five days after Bob. So yep. expect that our birthday celebration will include a like John going. Wicking? Yes, <laughs> we'll Wicking? be we'll be going to see John Wick. I'll be watching all of them. Oh, I'm all for that. Right we can we can that, we yeah. can also marathon that. Uh, Marvel phase four, five, and six. <sighs> yes. Kevin Feige got, brought the info.
0: I got and that's not even like wait till we even hit D twenty three yet. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh yeah, because they left some blanks. Like
0: Left some blanks, a lot of blanks in Slate in, in six. But six starts with the Fantastic Four. Gotta love it. And it ends with the Kang Dynasty, some hidden projects in there, and then Secret War. Yes.
2: Mar- which Avengers, we're pretty sure Secret War. Which we which we're pretty sure is gonna be the um, universe collapsing, secret wars. Not the, um, not the battle planet secret. I should. They're say. both battle planets. Yeah, but I mean the '80s one. It's not going to be the one where they all get transported just to fight each other. It's going to be no. the one where the whole thing gets. Yeah, because it's because Kang, look. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm, a, I'm yeah. a theorize
0: right now. Okay, yeah. real quick. Yeah. So. Loki sees that one is the most important thing that has happened so far in this sure. new yeah. version because yes. Sylvie killing uh, he who remains at the end of it essentially is
2: the thing that initiates the oh yeah the, the uh, incursions. He says, yes. I mean, he says, he says two things, right? He talks about the incursions at that moment before mm-hmm. he gets killed. Yep. And he talks about that there are iterations of him that are way worse. Yep, Yes. And we're about to see the first one in that's, Quantumania. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, like, for me, that's all I needed, right? Um, yep. So it's going to be it's going to be fantastic.
0: But even beyond that, like, uh, no, so w- I see what you did there. Yeah. A
2: little fantasy. I know, right?
0: Wakanda forever looks fan- looks amazing. Yes. Right. I'm um, like, wonderful.
2: You yes. you you are you have a um, do, do you know the, the plot sort of that goes along with it? I know they're, enough of it. I mean, I don't want to know too much more well, than no, the trailer. The,
0: the thing that's exciting about it is that apparently they're tripping off of the doom war story yes. yeah that's cool which means dr doom is the prime motivator. yeah yeah that he's shaking up the in yeah. the
2: background yeah i um i have to say you have to have a grinch like heart not to have been a little choked up at that trailer i know right like, that
0: trailer was a
2: trailer is powerful
0: it is powerful yeah uh what are the other cool things uh blade because sure. blade got announced sure, sure, i mean we knew it was coming right yeah. like, there's a bunch of stuff that we know is coming yeah um, what are the things that kind oh, of daredevil things? man daredevil's coming daredevil. back not only is it coming back 18 Teen episodes, episodes. Yep. Yeah. and that's not to say uh, and that's just like that's the series that's coming yep. born again which is probably based on frank miller's born again which is
2: arguably the best daredevil story ever written uh and and also vincent D'Onofrio is coming back yep. over yes um, there was a great tweet from vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> he tweeted to matt burdock yeah like, hey. that's funny
0: <laughs> the uh but he's gonna be in stuff before that right yeah, he's yeah. in she-hulk that's coming yep. out soon yep. Yep. he's going to be in echo yeah mm-hmm. uh so like he's gonna I mean, have and a he was lead in up. spider-man and he was and... in spider-man yeah, yeah. he's like going to be a major. Part I mean, I'm of excited. I'm excited
2: that. I mean, first of all, I love Charlie Cox. Like, I'm so excited that they're bringing him back. There are more of the Netflix cast. I would like to come back, and I think rumors are still abounding that those people are Jessica coming back. Jessica Jones
0: here. is going to be in um, She-Hulk. I, I need Luke Cage, man. That's Mike Colter said he would come back. He's just busy. Okay, because he's That's fine. He's, I'll,
2: I will wait. He's doing evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, so it's he's cool. just He's just got stuff going no, on. No, it's cool. Man. I'll wait. He can yeah. come when he's ready to come yeah. back. He's yeah. welcome yeah. to come back. Like I'm. I, I'm, I loved I loved him as Luke Cage. Yeah, yeah.
0: I am so stoked for Marvel yeah. Phase Yeah, they're five. doing a good job. Like yeah. I, like I mean I I the reason I'm excited about Blade is cuz Blade is in, essentially to me like the initial and precursor to the Midnight Suns. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I love the Midnight Suns. And you know, Blade I, I mean I love any version of the Midnight Suns. Give me any version of the Midnight Suns. Okay.
2: Plus, you know, Blade was also the first like the first legitimate Marvel movie. It was yes. like, so the fact that it's coming all the way back around yeah. and into the MCU is also a nice tub. Yeah. So,
0: and she Hulk starts soon. The trailer was there. It was great. Love yes. With updated CGI. Yep. Like, yes. Oh, it looks so good. So it looks,
2: good. it looks really good. Uh,
0: so that, that's my, that's my one thing. Am yeah, I? It's, it's a big San one. Diego
2: comic-con was, I mean, there's a couple more things, lower decks. Um, what is it? There's going to be season three coming. Season three is actually coming in August, but yep. <laughs> I guess in the later, <laughs> yep. there's going to be a um, strange new worlds and lower decks um, crossover crossover yes, that's fun half animated
0: yeah. half live action wow that's yeah. weird so does, are they gonna put like the like the characters that are animated as live action we don't no know idea. we don't know
2: but i'm i'm a hundred percent for whatever shenanigans like as a one episode thing whatever yeah. shenanigans you want to pull is fine i don't know if you saw in the trailer for strange or for um lower decks lower decks this one they are going to Deep Space Nine. Yes. Oh, that's good. Oh, just just take a loop around it. Just <laughs> pretend to admire the pylons. Yeah. Now, I was being the uber nerd,
0: though, for, for the Marvel panel in Hall sure. H. Yeah. I was sitting there with a bunch of different Twitter accounts open. Watching the refresh. live feeds. Yeah. just Getting yeah. refreshed to see what was popping up. Oh, It was pretty good. It was, it was good. Yes, yeah. it, Most of the stuff we knew was coming, right? Like, yeah.
2: But it's okay, because I think what was really important was that... And I, I watched a TikTok on this. This woman did a, a really good analysis of... She's like, if it doesn't feel like there's a lot of direction right now, And she showed the production schedules for all of the things that we've recently like that Mm -hmm. we've been watching over the last year and a half. And those were all made at the same time. She's like, if it feels like Loki isn't really connected to, you know, multiverse of madness, isn't connected to Ms. Marvel or whatever. She's like, like she showed the production schedule. She's like, they were all written in parallel. They were all produced almost in parallel. Like there's Mm -hmm. a few places where they overlap, like where one ends and the next one starts, Mm -hmm. but not by much. And she's like, so there's been this general feeling that, like, the MCU's kind of, like, lost its um, string, right? Since, since the beginning <laughs> there, of... But, I think
0: that's... But, in, I, I understand what everybody says that. No, I get it. says that, but I can... I'm... As soon as things started happening, like oh, I, I could see what's going on. No, I mean, yes. you can see some yeah. pieces,
2: but it's not yeah. like in, it's not like phase one, two and three where no. where where things were all moving towards an inevitable well, it's conclusion. It's because
0: Coulson was in every one of those movies.
2: Right. But I mean, but also yeah. because they were filmed like years apart, they were like, you know, they were angling towards, they were. you know, a piece. Now, but I think Feige, I, I don't think Feige's dumb. Right. So I think hearing all this, you know, Feige comes out and rolls out like he he doesn't even roll out just phase five. He goes ahead and shows you phase six because he's showing you the pieces like he's showing yeah. you like like where you there's a there's, there's a thing plan. here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, there was always a plan. If, but here's a taste of yeah, it. Yeah. If you're yeah. not a nerd like
0: me and Bob, who are just like hounding the information Correct. like you can't see it. Yeah. Right. Like like we all like anybody who's like paying attention, like like really paying attention. Yeah. yeah. We all knew Secret War was the thing they were angling to. I mean, I we was as th- soon as Loki showed up. Sure, Loki season one
2: was over. Like they're going to do Secret War. I mean, my personal—I yeah. think I remember saying coming yeah. out of the theater from Endgame that my hope was the next big Avengers villain would be Kang. Yep. Yeah, and so when you get to the end of Loki and he's like, "Oh, there's worse versions of me." I'm like, yeah. mm, "We're going to get Kang." Oh like, yeah,
0: and here comes Kang in, yep. in Quantum Mania exactly. Yep. And so, Modok. Yeah, Modok we're, too. We're, I forgot about that. I wonder if Bill Murray is playing Modok because Bill Murray's in Quantum Mania.
2: Oh, there you go. It's That's interesting. That's, that
0: was confirmed, so.
2: Anyway. Yeah.
0: Anyway, right, that should, was a
2: big thing. Yeah, and they, should, it was a cool thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, let's do some Patreon shout-outs. You guys mind if I, I do the shout-outs? No, so go ahead. for it.
2: Feel free. You're behind the, yeah, the Bob so, here.
0: So uh, thank you so much, Patrons, for patroning the Mr. Rick Mark podcast. Uh, tell your friends. Have them patron us too. We could use the dollars. <laughs> uh, James Attican, Noah Bond, Alice Kira, yep. Austin mm-hmm. Lemke, Chris Mead. I, I like a good Mead uh craig duffy dan simons david walker
2: drew smith who so grew up in the show and glenn seiler <laughs> yeah thank you glenn, thank you, glenn. Yes. everybody thank you so much for listening this week if you enjoyed this podcast you can get more content through our youtube channel at youtube.com slash where we release videos on tuesdays along with other content on our patreon
0: yeah we also release the podcast yeah, yeah that too <laughs> also true
1: but you can also listen to some of the other shows in the Misdirected mark network such as they're a super geek Mastering Dungeons, Bones, Stone, Obsidian, Pan is talking games. The Gnome Cast, Bonus Experience, and the amazing back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You should also you can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and the all new GM Mastermind,
0: which Phil was on. Yes, like, yes. He just It just dropped. Oh, did that yes. just drop? Yeah, it just yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, before you drop that awesome picture you have on the table, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly using the weird, old, archaic emails, just also like when, just like when weird. you were in college. Email us at MMP at MisdirectedMark.com. Hit us up on the Twitters. The show and the network is at MisdirectedMark. There's Robert M. Everson laying on a couch somewhere, Alan. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's me, DNA Phil, GM Gerrymander, and The Light 101. It's my favorite soft rock
0: channel. Which one?
2: The Light Light 101. 101. I know,
0: right? (laughs) I forgot about that, actually, that (laughs) gag. (laughs) Was it Smooth uh, smooth Jazz all day long? Smooth Jazz 101. The
2: Light 101.
0: Remember that Patreon we mentioned earlier? I mean, I, I mentioned it. If you want to support it and other shows on Mister right Mark Productions, you can do so at patreon.com slash MMP. Your patrons will get you access to the After Show podcast, our show notes and scripts, the Bamboo Lounge podcast, and other special releases, such as the music video that I made of me and Phil uh, singing. Well, me me singing what's going on while me and Phil are dancing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Pretending to shower and Embarrassing. everything. Embarrassing. There's even rain. Oh, boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this has been a Ector right Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.